everybody, welcome to another edition of Blast Points Presents. And this time, there is someone lurking in the shadows here who uh, wants to introduce something. <laughs> is that is that how we're doing this now? <laughs> we, we, we ran out of kiss people for you to be, so... That's right, yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, the people at home are not privy to everything that happens before we hit record. Um, but thank you, Gabe, yes. Indeed, I am Tom Spina of Regal Robot, Tom Spina Designs, and thank you for once again hosting one of my chats with an ILM great and someone who uh, has inspired me over the years and and, uh, who I've had the good fortune of now getting to know a bit. And um, these have been so fun putting together, uh, and I just think it's it's really neat that, you know, really, uh, I'm very gratified that you guys are uh, taking these as well and, and putting them out on, on your, uh, on your podcast and, and getting more folks listening to them. I think that, um, I always enjoy talking shop with effects people. And, and I find that anybody who does interviews with folks who do movies and things like that usually ends up being superficial, uh, present company excluded. And I, I love just getting into the nitty gritty with them and talking, uh, as, nerdy as I can possibly take it without making them run out of the room screaming. <laughs> and in this one, we've got a very special guest, right? Dave Carson, right? Who, very timely for you and everything going on. Yeah. So we've got our, our next edition for our uh, archive collection is the Nine Num maquette. Uh, so this was a concept maquette that Dave Carson sculpted to get the character approved. And basically, he designed this character for the movie. Um, and once it was approved, he, he ended up sculpting uh, the full-size version as well. And he, as you'll learn if you uh, listen beyond this point, uh, sculpted quite a number of both the maquettes and the full-size creatures for the movie. He uh, even got to go to uh, England and help with, with shooting and keeping the actors alive in the masks and things like that. I, I, he's a, a really great guy, super nice, had uh, plenty of, of great memories and stories to share, and um, also just a, a real talented artist, great sculptor, some interesting talk about things like um, style and the impact of his work and stuff like that, and I think, um, I think folks will really enjoy it. If you are interested in things like our archive collection, just uh, take a moment and visit regalrobot.com and you can check all of that out and um, otherwise I think just you know sit back relax and enjoy Dave Carson and I talking shop for a little bit hey everybody I am joined today by David Carson and I'm just very excited to have him here. He's another one of the, uh, the great Return of the Jedi creature crew. So, Dave, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm going to tell everybody who's listening at home. First, uh, hit like and subscribe and all of that stuff. But uh, second, uh, go check out uh, Talking Bay 94. Uh, Brandon Way Nerdy, my friend, uh, interviewed Dave a couple years back, I guess. Yeah. Really, really fun chat that you guys had. Um, and yeah, he was a good interviewer. That was fun. Right. Yeah. He's he's one of the best. And he, he you know, you guys really did a lot of backstory there. It's great stuff. It's fascinating. But I don't want to keep Dave around forever today. So uh, I'll say go check out what Brandon and him talked about first and then we'll dive into uh, our fun stuff. 
So the first thing though, I will ask about is I do remember you mentioning Cascade there. Um, Cascade. Yeah. So I, that seems to be a nexus for so many of the ILM guys, a lot of LA creature guys. Um, and, uh, John Berg specifically is an old friend of mine and, and just real sweet, sweet guy, uh, always talks to me about Phil Kellison and really credits him as a mentor. Uh, what was your experience like at Cascade? Well, I never actually worked at Cascade, but I was invited to visit there. I got to know Dave Allen back in the day. Oh, and yeah. Dave worked there, uh, had worked there for quite a while. And so he, Dave actually brought me in to build a, a foam core city of the future for a commercial they were doing. So I wasn't actually employed by Cascade, but I used to go by there. And that's where I ran into, that's where I first met Dennis Murin, Phil Tippett, Tommy Santamon, you know, all so many of those guys used to come and go or, and even work at Cascade. It was really the only visual effects going on pre-Star Wars. I mean, if you wanted to work in visual effects, you were doing Chuck Wagon commercials and uh, Mrs. Butterworth. I mean, that was really the only effects work in town. Somewhere there's a great photo of John Berg and Phil Tippett with the chess monsters and Mrs. Butterworth. And like, clearly <laughs> they were shooting this at Cascade. Like, I guess, you know, it was probably just after Star Wars. By the time you get hired at ILM, that's Empire? Yes, it was, uh, it was the last couple months of Empire. Gotcha. I came up. I came up to. In fact, I was working uh, for Dave Allen. He, he had a shop in Burbank, and I was working for Dave. And a lot of the guys had come up to work on Empire a year or so before, and uh, that sounded like a really great thing to me. And uh, yeah, so I went up to visit Tommy Santamon and uh, brought my portfolio with me. And I just happened to. I just happened to be sitting at an ice cream shop with Warren Peterson, who was head of the model shop. Right. And uh, he he said they were looking for uh, models modelers to to finish up you know the big push they were they had like two months until the film was going to release, and uh, so I said yeah I'll love to do it I showed him my portfolio he asked the, the guys about me and they said yeah he's okay so uh, <laughs> they hired me for two months uh, you know you've heard this story so many times yeah oh no it's a, two months I was there over twenty years right yeah <laughs> that's. That's a that's a good two months, but I, I imagine that twenty years probably wasn't as long as the time between they said maybe and the time they said yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's Lauren said I've got to get approval to bring on another person, so call me in a week. Oh. And I could not imagine going home and sitting for a week waiting. So I decided to take a week driving home. I lived in Southern California at the time. And of course, ILM was up here in San Rafael. Yeah. So I actually got in my car and spent a week driving home. So that the, the day I got home, I got up the next morning and called ILM and was told that, yeah, come on up. Was that the longest week of your life? <laughs> I really didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if they, you know, I was very hopeful, very hopeful. Yeah. And of course, a bit nervous. I mean, working at Dave's, we did everything with cardboard. You know, I mean, right. it was low rent and low, you know, low budget. And I was, I was a little concerned that, you know, what kind of fancy equipment and materials are these guys working with up at ILM? Am I going to be in over my head? So I was a little nervous about it, but it wasn't a problem. They, you know, it was all plastic. They were also working with cardboard and plastic, <laughs> yeah. and whatever. It was not unusual. Yeah, whatever they could get their hands on, and whatever worked for the shot. Yeah. Um, Star Wars at this point is already a big deal. 
Was yeah. it a big deal for you? Were you a fan? Yeah, you know, I I was I got interested in visual effects when I was about eight years old through the films of Ray Harryhausen. You know, like so many of us, right? And uh, so I that was the world of visual effects that I knew. So this film came out called Star Wars. I knew of George Lucas because I really really liked uh, American Graffiti. Mm. I said, okay, this uh, the guy who did American Graffiti. I guess he's done a science fiction film. So I went to see it. And actually, I saw it like the the week it opened in Century City, and I didn't know. I'd never heard any of these guys before. I, right. you know, they came out of left field to me, and I sat there and watched that film, and I I couldn't believe it. I had never seen anything like it. That opening shot where that ship comes in over, and it just keeps going and going and going. I mean. I remember yeah. driving home from seeing the movie and I'm like, my car is like a, a TIE fighter. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah. Right. So I, yeah, I know I was a huge fan and I would never, ever have guessed that I would be working on the sequel, you know, less than maybe a year or two later. You were obviously well positioned because of your friends at Cascade and, you know, that, that again, that nexus. Yeah. But that's, it is really incredible to go from like, Oh man, this this film is amazing too. But there's a sequel, and I'm working on it. That's yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I had to move up here to San Rafael. It was a big change in my life, and uh, but it's it's great. It's Sorry, great. how old were you at that point? I think I was about 28. Wow. I was one of the older guys there. I, mean, <laughs> I was like, I think I was around that's, 28, and I was one of the oldest guys there. That's saying something. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. At what point? So okay, you're brought on to do model stuff. Uh, you know, I'm going to flash forward a bit to get us to the Jedi creature shop. How do you wind up in the creature shop? Well, I, uh, Empire wrapped up and I was going to get laid off and, um, I didn't want to be laid off. (laughs) So, uh, Phil Tippett and Dennis Muren, they were switching over to a film called Dragon Slayer. Oh yeah. And, um, they had, Phil was still finishing some shots of the Tauntaun for Empire and he needed to do some dragon sculptures of, you know, some uh, maquettes of what the dragon would look like. And he didn't he didn't have time to he could rough it in or do a sketch, but he needed somebody to actually do the, the pushing the clay around. And they hired a guy from San Francisco and, and he didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And so when I found out, I said, hey, you know, I used to sculpt. Remember the sculptures I did down at, at Dave's place? And they didn't remember them. They said, well, sculpt something up for us. And um bring it in. So I sculpted half of an alligator. I figured I didn't need to do both sides. They'd get the idea. So right. I sculpted this half an alligator and I brought it in and, and they go, great, you're hired. So I, I went on to Dragon Slayer and uh, most of the facility, half of them went on to Dragon Slayer, half of them went on to Raiders. Right. And so that's pretty much how ILM for a year or two, we were probably on that. And I think then we went right from Dragon Slayer onto Jedi. And the first thing I remember is that Phil um, said, we, we need to sculpt maquettes for potential creature designs. Yeah. And Phil had read the script, but no one else, none of, none of the rest of us had, it wasn't, wasn't really available yet. Yeah. And so he just described that it, there's this Jabba's palace and there's all these creatures. It's like the cantina sequence, but bigger. Right. And so we just, it was kind of pie in the sky, just whatever you want to sculpt, make up something, sculpt it. And about once every week or two, George would come by and look at the, the maquettes we had done and the ones he liked, he'd put a red sticker on them. And right. uh, we would then start building those ones for real. 
uh, it's such a great way to work when when you're afforded that. You yeah. know, everything is usually so tight and you know designed by committee, and you're handed something like it. Really is nice to be able to dream. You know, for lack of I mean, most of what we designed was not was rejected. I mean, right. it, we could, but we had a, a luxurious amount of time. I just remember going to work every day and just you know making up stuff in, in clay. Yeah, it was it was not not usually how it's done. Right. Um, the was had your paths crossed with Chris Wayless at this point through Dragon Slayer or Ray? Yes, of course. He, Chris came in and he made Chris made he started doing all kinds of. He, Chris had his own shop. I think he already had his own shop at that time. But he came into ILM and he made a large, um, uh, like a hand puppet version of the dragon's head. Yeah. And, which was used for some shots. And then he also did the melting people at the end. Right. Of the so he was bouncing back and forth. And I, I think he also did a, a, a he did a bunch a of, the maquettes. of the maquettes also. Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, it's funny. We actually restored that giant. It was like eight feet. Oh, really? That dragon head that, and that was that one, not the, you know, not the more animatronic one, but like right. kind of a little more old school, but they were able to do more with it because of that. Yeah, yeah. Danny Lee down at Disney, uh, he headed up the construction of the full size mechanical one. And, you know, it's just like all mechanical stuff. It was unwieldy. It was yep. so big. Yep. And I think I think Ken Ralston ended up shooting. Ken went over to England to um, help them try and improve the quality of the shots they were getting. And I think they ended up doing a lot of the stuff in reverse. They shot some of the things oh. so that you it just yeah. so you didn't see that lagging of trying yeah, to get yeah, yeah. big and heavy. And uh, that seemed to be pretty effective. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like with Audrey too from Little Shop of Horrors, how they exactly. shot it in that right, right. or slow yeah. slow shot to speed up the 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 chatter. Right. Um so uh in that shop, it's funny Ken that you mentioned Ken too, because he's someone I always think of as visual effects and shooting. And then I find out, you know, he had done a bunch of the maquettes as well for Jedi. Yeah. Um yeah, and, even Joe Johnson did some. Yeah. Um, I, everybody was invited, I think. It's it was it's been such a great process just figuring all this stuff out. I gotta say, it's been a lot of fun. I have to say just a big thanks to you. Uh, like so many of the crew, you have been very helpful in us, you know, really getting into the nitty-gritty and figuring out who sculpted what. And it's you know, it was so long ago. Well, I guess it was a little over 40 years. So yeah. it's been really hard to remember exactly who did the maquette and who did the full size and who did the fabrication. But uh, with the help of a lot of other people, I think we've narrowed down some of that. I, you know, it's funny. We're down to, I mean, out of about 90 maquettes from Jedi, I think there's only about eight or 10 that we don't wow. know who did, which wow. is just insane. Like, that's amazing. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for that. So after the maquette process or even during, um, what was that shop like? You know, you've got you, you've got um, Phil. You had Kirk Thatcher as a, I mean, I assume a child. Um, you had. He's <laughs> still a child. Yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> oh, you know him. Yeah. I just saw him the other day. Oh, yeah. he's uh, yeah, he's very, very fun to be around. Um, but yeah, you had Judy Elkins. You had Gene Lauren. Um, was Tom Sandoval. Well, we, we started, we started, it was still, we, there was a, there was a room upstairs at ILM where we did all the Dragon Slayer casting and molding and stuff. And we called it the rubber room. And um, we, when we first started on Jedi, we, we started in the rubber room. But it, it was obviously not going to be big enough to handle the 
the space we would need to start constructing full-size creatures and we needed a large oven to bake the shram foam and all that. So they rented a space at the, there was an industrial building next to ILM and they rented a space over there. So we, we moved over there and that's, we were there for over a year, I think, um, designing and then building these creatures and then shipping them off to England. And how, um, what was the atmosphere like there? Well, you know, it was like it was like the atmosphere throughout my time at ILM. It was a combination of fun and pressure. You know, <laughs> there, there's only so much time, and yeah, you, 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 you're. We were lucky to be working on a film that we knew the world was waiting to see, yeah. and so you want it to be good, and you've only got so much time. But on at the same time, we had a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so I, I do see the bass in the background. I think I see some keys too. Um, is is music a creative outlet for you? Is that something that's been constant in your life? I, it, it, off and on. It's never been a main focus, but it's something I enjoy. And uh, it's not unusual. You know, a lot of people at ILM. It's really interesting how how many people at ILM have a guitar by their desk or are into music at some level. I, I think it's just. A lot of artists and a lot of programmers are seem to that that hmm. nexus between music and math and art seems to strike a lot of people. But it is I, like a weird crossover. The math yeah. element of it is a strange. I, I played I played there. guitar. I played guitar for years. Never got very good. Uh, my fingers are, don't work the way they used to. So I kind of had to give up the standard guitar. But a uh, couple guys that I used to play with, they said, "Hey, why don't you try the bass?" So I I have switched over to the bass and. I'm having a lot of fun with that. I just played bass with Joe Johnson last night. We had a good time. Actually, he's on the road right now. But anyway, so that's something I do enjoy doing. Uh, no doubt. Um, it, I believe it was Judy that said that you and Phil provided the soundtrack for the shop. Um, and it was mostly it was everything from movies to Mo, uh, to Motown, I believe. She oh, said. Interesting. I hadn't I hadn't remembered that. I have no recollection of that. But I'm sure <laughs> she's right. But I will ask this then: What do you think is the best music to sculpt monsters by? I probably movie soundtracks. Yeah, uh, you know everything from Eric Korngold from the '30s to John Williams stuff. I like. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many great movie music composers. I enjoy a lot, a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. I always feel like King Kong or like the Creature from the Black Lagoon soundtrack. Is yeah, all that stuff. Da, 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 you know, so much of that stuff's available in pretty high quality. You know, yeah. Like most of it re-recorded, but still. I mean, even the the Valley of Guanji soundtrack. I love that soundtrack. There's just a bunch of them, a handful that I throw on. I, I never, you know, I've never really thought about that as a soundtrack. Like I've always, I, I know the movie, but I've never like, yeah. like, ooh, now I got to, all right, you've given yeah, me a got that, It's got this. that classic uh, pseudo Western feel to it. Yeah. With the grass and yeah, it's pretty fun. Someone also said that a lot of times the people in the shop uh, spoke mostly in movie quotes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's. I'm sure that's true. I, was, yeah, I remember um, when I first went to work uh, with Dave Allen. It was my first time actually being hired to work on a film, and I was at Dave Allen's shop, and he he picked up a tube, and he he held it up and looked at it, and I said, "What do you see?" And he said, "I see war between Baghdad and Chandra," and I knew I was where I was supposed to be. Right. <laughs> that's it and we i mean it's kind of the same way around here you know except it's you know, usually star wars or ghostbusters quotes yeah, or something yeah, like that but yeah. 
Um, but yeah, it's it, it is how it's how a lot of folks in this type of work communicate, isn't it? I believe this was also Judy that mentioned this one. She says that uh, there were times you guys would rent 16 millimeter copies of 50s and 60s monster movies and have get togethers. <laughs> Um, I, I, I don't recall that. I know we <laughs> did used to get together sometimes and look at, at movies uh, on VHS, uh-huh. uh, you know, whatever we might have. Right. Yeah. We yeah. Socialize. We would, you know, we would work all week together and then we would still get together on weekends sometimes and socialize. Yeah. Was it like, a? I mean, is it a family at that point in a, in a weird way? Yeah, I, of course. I mean, we spent so much time together, but yeah. Yeah. And you're all under the same pressure for the same reason. Yeah, I mean, Phil, of course, Phil the most. Phil, you know, Phil, he got the brunt of it because he was in charge of everything. In fact, that he, he he realized that we had so much that had to be done. He That's why he asked me if I would take over the pig guards. So I, I had designed the maquette for the pig guards, and we had right. to build three of them, plus an animatronic head and a stunt head. Right. So Phil asked me, would I, you know, would I just take over the pig guards and, and do that? So I said, I yeah, see okay. that through. So that, that became my focus after a while. Um, and we will, that's that's one I definitely want to talk a little more about. Um, you did, you wound up going to England after the shop work wrapped. Yeah, there was uh, Phil and his wife went. I went, um, I think uh, Stuart Ziff, there was a, there was a, several of us and we went over there to you know repair the suits as needed to uh we Stuart Ziff had made had taken a bunch of hair dryers mm-hmm. and taken the heating element out so that they just blew air and we would you know between takes the monster the guys would take the monster heads off and we would blow cool air on them so yeah. you know we were there to do that and at night we would repair suits that got damaged during shooting so yeah we, I would think I was there about six weeks to to, through the through the we did the interior of Jabba's palace and then the interior of Jabba's barge. Right, those were, the, those were the two. Set. And then I think there was about six weeks I was there. That was really strange because it was snowing. <laughs> it was very unusual. You're <laughs> shooting inside the desert in a hot sound. Yeah, so you would walk. You would walk from the snow covered ground and open the door to the stage, and it'd be this bright bright sand. And you walk in, and you're on Tatooine. It was very strange. Um, had you been on set for a movie like that at that point? I don't think so. No, I don't think I had. I No, I don't think I had. I feel like the the palace set, I mean, I've, you know, I've only ever seen behind the scenes footage and stuff like that, obviously, but it feels like a pretty self-contained thing. Like it felt like if you walked into that set, there wasn't always a wide open wall somewhere. No, you're you're exactly right. You, you remember at the beginning of the sequence, three PO shows up and there's this big door. Yeah, that is actually that was the beginning of the set, and then the long walkway past that door, and then there were some steps down into the right. place where Jabba was on his big bed. Yeah, and then the alcove in the back where Han was, you know, the trophy right. of Han, frozen Han was. Mm-hmm. That was exactly what the set was, and it was a really loud set. The 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 mm. the, the the uh, the assistant director kept complaining, you know, that it was the loudest set it ever been on, and it was because there were dozens and dozens, not just the actors and all the creatures, but all the support and the cameramen. Yeah. Everybody would get to chatting, and, and it would all be, contained in one space. In this, yeah, this Oof. contained. So it was intended to get loud. Hmm. 
we had to, it's funny you mentioned the alcove. There's on that wall on either side of Han, there's like a Tauntaun head and a Jerba head. Um, <laughs> I've forgotten that. They just had to recreate the uh, that set for the Book of Boba Fett. We actually built them the Tauntaun oh, really? and the Jerba to put in. It's like all these little details, oh. you know, you got to now go back and look at fresh and like, how do we, all right, is that there? What's this? Does he have horns? Like, what are we doing? Um did you end up going to uh, Arizona at all? For- no, what happened? No, we got back from England, and then it was just a short time later uh, they needed to go off and do the uh, the Sarlacc pit and the, all the all the stuff in Arizona. And I forget, I I don't remember what it was, but there were a number of things. Uh, I think there was the uh, Rancor Cave needed oh, to be yeah. built. There was a number of things, and Phil asked me to stay at ILM and and get a head start on that stuff. And he went off to Arizona. And I, by then, that was fine with me. I didn't miss the Arizona shoot. It I, what, didn't sound like it was going to be fun. It sounds, yeah, talking to, to Phil and Kirk about it, it sounds kind of like you, you made the right call. <laughs> um, when I'm going to, we'll shift into the maquettes here. Um, you know, you've already kind of talked about how and when you did that and, and the, the sort of looseness of it all. Um, when you're sculpting, so this will just be more of a, a design thing for you. I know sometimes you'll you'll go into something and you either have a fixed image in your mind of what you're going to do or maybe a sketch. And other times you'll pick up the clay and you mash it around until the clay tells you what it wants to be. Um, how did you approach the maquette process? Uh, you know, which version of that was it for you? Yeah, both 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 approaches. Uh, the pig guards, I started with a sketch. Um, in the case of Nine Numb, um, I actually just started pushing clay around. And it wasn't half, nothing was coming of it. And so I turned it upside down and I thought, oh, that's interesting. And I actually then finished it and that turned into nine no's. So that was definitely designing as I sculpted. So, yeah. I, and, and he was just an idea. He, it was a surprise to me that he turned out to be the co-pilot. Oh, he, yeah. It was just, uh, he was just another monster when I was making him. He was just number nine or whatever there, you know. <laughs> right. Um, he was creature number nine. Yeah. So it's interesting. So nine numb is upside down. That's awesome. You start it out. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you yeah. need to do that though. So here's a question about him. On the top of his head, he looks like he has residual for like either horns or antenna or something. He's got oh, really round nubs that look like they were smoothed over. No um, idea. Yeah. I no you know, idea. Wouldn't surprise me if that was something that changed along the way. It um, could be. I don't. The main thing I remember about him is I, I is the nostrils. Where I thought, what if they just keep going and they they actually turn into these flaps? And that that was the thing I liked about him. That is kind of neat. Yeah, I always like. Uh, I feel like Nikto has a little of a similar thing where his nostrils oh, yeah. kind of trail off and come out down here. I like when you can kind of flow something away, you know, from the yeah. middle yeah. of the piece. It was um, fun. You know what? Once we once we were done with the maquettes and we started. Uh, making the full-size masks and, and costumes that was the first time i'd ever worked with wet clay and mm. uh, we just all had you know wet clay and we learned how to spritz it and keep it workable and let it dry so you can carve it and then spritz it again yeah. i really enjoyed the wet clay and that was that was a brand new experience i remember so yeah i remember the first time i started using that and it was like i had sculpted in oil-based clay full-size heads right. and everything right and somebody was like, you look like you're fighting your material. Try this. And it was the the wed clay from uh, uh, Yuna, the EM 237, whatever it is. Um, and, and it was just like, 
oh, okay, you know, this is a lot better. Um, and I, I love that it just, as you get closer to the finish line, it hardens up and can take more detail. Like it right. really grows right. with you. And you can bring it back to soft again with, yeah. you know, with the spritzer. So I, I did like that. All the maquettes were done with Sculpey, which has, you know, sculpey has got a lot of memory and you have to really, right. it just, it's, it's like not sculpting with Starburst. Yeah. <laughs> um, have the full scale nine num was something you sculpted as well. Yeah. And um, was that? I mean, it's a pretty straightforward interpretation of what you did on the small one, right? Yeah. I, I don't think you know what I don't. I I don't think I've ever seen any pictures of that full size sculpt. But it was it was basically just a blow up of the maquette. Do you feel more? Um, freedom and we'll you know we'll go through the other maquettes and stuff and the and which big stuff you did but when you're working on someone else's design versus your own do you feel more freedom to play with the design in one case or the other no i know i don't recall that i mean mostly if a maquette's been approved by george you kind of want to be faithful to that whether you sculpt it i mean i wouldn't take it upon myself to change the design simply because i started the maquette right. you know, if george approved it i assume that's what he wants so <laughs> yeah, the, the man's cutting the check. You might as well. Um, the Gamorians. So there's three maquettes in there that are listed as Gamorians. There's the head and sort of bust, we've been calling it. There's one where he's kind of walking. And then there's another where he looks kind of thin and maybe he's got like a little whip or something. Yes. And I don't, my recollection is that that one you're talking about, the thin one with the whip, was not a Gamorian guard. Interesting. It's just a creature, and yeah. perhaps he looks like a Gamorian guard, but right. my recollection is he was just another creature. Uh, the pig guards were mentioned in the script, so that, that was a case where there was these piggish guards, and so I that gave, already gave me an idea of what they might look like. And this at that time, like most artists, I was heavily influenced by the work of Frank Frazetta. Oh, yeah. So I kind of imagined a Frank Frazetta pig guard, and... Uh, I can really see that in that, that first bust, the 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 kind of more troll. Right. I did I did the head first, and George liked that, and I don't know if I did the full figure on my own or if he requested it. Mm. But so in that case, I started with the several sketches, and then and then did the uh, did the maquette. Kirk Thatcher once said that he thought you when you were sculpting the full size on the Gamorrean, he said he looks friendlier than the bust. And then you told him it would make a better toy. <laughs> and, um, was that you or did George say that? Because that sounds a little like George, too. <laughs> I, don't, I don't recall that. It's possible. My stuff tends to look friendly. It is, yeah. you know, but I do, I do skew towards Disney. It's, it's hard That's... for me not to. Um, I, it isn't. I mean, even the full size is a neat sculpt. When we say full size, I think it's important if people realize Full size is huge on those Gamorrean heads. Like, yeah, you know, they were big. Not, like, that's it's massive. Um, yeah, and the arms had extensions. You know, the hands were oh, yeah. so that they so that proportionately they were the right length. Yeah, so the, the the actors just were holding wooden handles with poseable hands on the end. I love that overall design. You know, head to toe of the you know the final execution of it. I feel like it does a really good job of breaking the human form. I feel like it yeah. it just has a mass to it and a weight. I gave him those really big feet with the sandals, you yes. know. They, we put yeah, they shoes, look like tennis shoes in them. 
Yeah, they look like they've already like stretch and squash. They've already got the squash, you know. <laughs> um, the on the full scale sculpts, you had a uh, so I'm sure you did some basic static masks, but then you had to accommodate mechs. Had you worked with that before? Did that inform or change what you were doing on any of the sculpts for that? I don't. I don't think so. Are you talking about the articulated stuff? The yeah, like the moving nose and things. Or yeah. Just, you so did I, I really, I had nothing to do with that. I mean, they use the same mold. Uh, like right. in the case of the pig guard, they use the same mold. They cast it in SRAM rather than urethane. Right. Um, you know, so that it was easier. Flexible. Yeah, foam latex rather than and, polyfoam. You know, I watched them build it, but uh, it didn't really affect. Uh, me that much they made it from the same molds and then we did a we did a head that was completely rubber because the the main ones had had uh plastic horns and plastic teeth and eyes and we did one head that was all rubber for the stunt guy when he falls down oh gets, yeah when the the grate opens or something and he falls yeah, he has to do the, the pit below the stunt guy wanted a head that had nothing hard all rubber so that's our guy yeah there's one in there that always jumps out at us when we look at this. It looks like a samurai wolfman. I'm looking at the picture of it. I do I do vaguely remember sculpting it. I have no idea what I was thinking. <laughs> I don't I mean he wasn't approved. No, he didn't make the cut. He didn't make he's the got cut. sandals, he's got like I, know, I don't know where I don't know where that came from. He looks like a, a samurai werewolf, yeah. Yeah, he's fun. Like he is kind of friendly. Like he looked to me like something out of like the Ghostbusters cartoon in the yeah. mid-80s. But um but yeah, it was definitely out of all of the ones in there. So there's a lot of weird things in those maquettes. And most of those are things Phil did. But like Phil's are weird because they're disturbing. And then there's this is yeah. just weird on its own, um, yeah. but it's a fun one. And it's, it is kind of, I think, I think it's indicative of that free hand you guys had. <laughs> well, after a while, it was hard to come up with something different. I mean, you know, you have your inclination is easy the first week, but after a while you have to really, okay, what can I do? What can I, and I don't remember if I looked at pictures or, well, I, I have no idea what led to that guy. It's a nice pose. It is. Yeah. <laughs> See, you're looking at the positives. Well, I, I do like that more than a few times I've gotten the answer from someone who sculpted one of these that I don't know what I was thinking. Like that's that says it all. So uh, the next one, yeah. Archives calls that guy humanoid rancor keeper. Um, was oh, is that what he was? Yeah, I noticed he's got like a little shock prod or something like he's got like a coiled wire going through it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I can't, that rings a bell. <laughs> um, any other thoughts on him looking at him? I I had completely forgotten him until I saw the picture a while back. So Isn't it something? I remember nothing about him. <laughs> is is there, um, I, I feel like at one point you, you told me that looks like my not style or something along those words. <laughs> it definitely. I mean, I definitely recognize that as something I would have sculpted. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. It's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do you have? Uh, do you feel like you have a style in general? I do not. Yeah. I do not feel like I have a style. <laughs> do you feel that's helped you in a career where you've got to merge into different movies and themes? I, and you know, I don't know. I would have preferred to have had a style, right. but. Uh, uh, <laughs> It, you know, it just is what it is. 
Number seven there is the one that they attribute to being Barada. I think that's where Barada came from. Yeah. Um, there is some similarity to that other, you know, quote, Gamorian or whatever yeah. they, um, you know, probably some bridge in between there experimenting. Um, are, are those the bigger ones? Are those sculpted over like those little artist wood figures? I can't remember if it was just a, uh, an aluminum armature or, yeah. you know, Barbie. I have no idea, but there is something definitely under there that's not sculpted. Well, we'll jump right to the next one because I know I think this was another one that you <laughs> tried oh, to this one. You know, you showed me this picture and I have the vaguest memory of sculpting it. And of course, the question arises immediately, why? Right. why would, what would this and I keep thinking about it, and you know, obviously it's it's the alien from Close Encounters. Yeah. And I remember, I kind of remember George saying. It might be kind of because he had he had the idea that there was going to be this this creature that was light and mm -hmm. it would walk around in, in the palace and all you would see is this glowing light. And we actually we actually shot a plate on, on for it. It was never used. Uh, was that with Peter Diamond in like a suit of light bulbs? Exactly. And everybody stood very still. The, the, the director goes, okay, this is going to be a VistaVision shot. So everybody has to stand perfectly still, which made no sense at all. But I wasn't <laughs> going to point out that he was right. <laughs> The camera has to stay still. Right. So it was. So this guy walked around the set with all these light bulbs. And I kind of wonder if George was thinking maybe that guy would look like Stephen's Close Encounter guy. Maybe. I, don't know. I can't imagine why I would have sculpted the Close Encounter guy, but I did, obviously. What's funny is, like, I look back, there's a Smithsonian magazine from the 90s, and, like, whoop, there he is, right oh, on the cover. Is he, is he on that cover? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. So he, his his moment of fame. That's right. Yes, <laughs> he's got his his moment in the sun. Um, he is, but he's another one that's friendly. I, I, you know, I'll give you that. Yeah. He's maybe you do have a style. Maybe being friendly is your style. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the blue bird lady. Yeah, I think that was just a misguided attempt to try something different. <laughs> well, it's different. I, you know, Judy said that she was very Las Vegas. It does, yeah. She's <laughs> so she did a bird lady as well. It, she did the one with the two headtails, and it's a very bent back kind of pose. This brown lady, oh. but she's got feathers along her sides and her torso. And she said at some point George asked for a bird lady. So oh. I wonder if that isn't all right. Well, then I'm exonerated. That's right. It's his fault, not yours. <laughs> um, I love this next one. That was my that was my take on Viv Fortuna. Yeah, he looks very much like a uh, uh, a sorcerer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like like he's holding a wand, or I thought yeah. it looked like a riding crop almost, or something. Yeah. Um, did you did you intentionally put like so? You have a Gamorrean's got an axe. The other guy's got a whip. The guy's got a prod. This guy's got a wand. Like I, don't know, I think props help. You know, I yeah. think I think they help. Did they just like add layers of character or something, or just yeah, it's just, yeah, story? It's just, you know, part of the costume? Yeah, yeah. I I think the um, I think the bib one has it's just like a ton of character to it. Like he has. He is up to something when you look at his face. <laughs> and like it's a small like I mean he's he's a decent size, but his head is small. Like I, I so much of it is in the hunch and the pose and the mm. turn. 
you know, how much thought did you put into that kind of thing when you're doing a sculpt like that? How do you get that emotion out of it? Man, I just I don't know because um, you know we would we would usually sculpt over an armature over just an aluminum wire armature. So you have to give some thought ahead of time before you even start as to what the pose is. But I don't I don't recall where this pose came from. I, I like it too, but yeah, uh, I don't I don't you know I don't remember. I, it's it definitely speaks to a certain level of of you know um I, honestly it does it you know i want to say style but uh it, it, you know there's there's people who can sculpt creatures and then there are people who can sculpt characters and this is a character and that's actually you know to me that's a higher level that's a that's a compliment um well thanks uh next up hoover <laughs> um I have nothing to say about Hoover. Oh, no. Poor Hoover. <laughs> uh, so they built him full-size, though. So Yeah, he, they did. Oh, I can't remember. Did he make the... Was he on screen ever? I don't know. So he never made it on screen. Judy built well. him. So Judy Elkins built the life-size, fabricated him. I, yeah, I do recall that. And uh, he does still exist today. He is in England. Yeah, he went to England. I, I know he was over there on the set, but I don't think yeah. he was in France. I don't think they ever used him. But he uh, he did ultimately get a wig at some point. <laughs> I don't know when. It's just weird shaggy beige wig. Really? Like some Mongolian shag hair or something. And uh, I he still got it. And now because he's in the archives, it will forever be enshrined oh, as Hoover in a wig. <laughs> The last one. So this one, I don't know if I'm, I don't have an image I can share of this because it's, it's from the Lucasfilm image archives and I, I'm not able to share it, but I'll describe it to our audience. We were going through old photos just recently and discovered a, a shelf of maquettes in the background of one photo. And in it is a guy riding what looks very much like a brontosaurus. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that that was yours. What's yeah. the story it's with a guy that? riding a brontosaurus? It's a, well, a kind of a cross between a brontosaurus and a dragon, maybe. It's, but it's, yeah, it's yeah. very, bron very brontosaurus-like. I think that, I think he's not actually standing. It's the bron is it? Yeah, it, he looks like he's like the guy has just climbed on. Got and it. As I recall, the guy had kind of a little bit of an elephant snout. Yeah, and he had blue pants with a yellow stripe, like a cavalry would wear, mm -hmm. and he had a hip holster you know, with a pistol. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I just thought he was cool. So I, I put him in with that week's batch of stuff. And George looked at it and said, well, I can't approve that one. It'd be too expensive, but I'd like to have it for my desk. So I uh, so I'm, I bought a little plexiglass case and put that in it. And I, there are a couple of times I was up at George's office and it was on the desk behind him. That's, is that... Would you say that's a, a higher praise than getting approved for the movie? <laughs> well, I was flattered, that's for sure. That, that's excellent. Um, well, it is not in the archives right now, so uh, it's very likely, you know, it's still on George's desk somewhere, and okay. I think that's pretty cool. This is this has all been the small-scale stuff, all the maquettes. Now we'll move to your, your starting to bring these to life large. You sculpted the full-size Klaatu uh, based on Ken Ralston's uh, maquette. Uh, very lizardy, lots of texture. I would imagine you had to spend a lot of time sculpting in all those scales. Um, yeah, I think obviously we were thinking of this guy particularly for the desert. Mm. 
yeah, he looks very desiccated and just, you know, um, not quite as much as Ken's weak way, but similar. Like he uh. clearly was was pushing in that direction. Um, we have Rees, which we uh, which was um, I got what's his, uh, Chris Wayless's maquette right there. Yeah. So you basically very faithful to Chris's maquette on that. Um, that had a, that had a really fancy articulated version as well. Yes, with the blinking yeah. eyes, as I recall, and the, the three eyes. times over, a little movement on the stalks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and those hands are really cool. I like sculpting those hands. That was fun. The hands and feet. I think the only feet we did were for the pig guard, but uh, yeah. hands we did. We did a number of hands, and yeah, uh, that was fun. Were were those hands something you got to dream up, or was there a sketch on those? I think they were usually part of the maquette, weren't they? Or maybe not. Uh, in his case, it was just a bus. Oh, okay. We just um, made it up then. Yeah. They're they're kind of cool. They almost look like an armadillo with little chubby <laughs> fingers like sausages coming out of them or something. They're neat. They're very unusual. Yeah. And then Squidhead based on Chris's maquette. Uh, um another that had to be a little complicated to mold, but you weren't you weren't molding this stuff, were yeah, you? No, that was up to Kirk. Kirk Thatcher did all the molding. Yeah. I was lucky for you. Oh yeah, who wants to do that? <laughs> um, then you have Nikto, uh, which is based on something Phil did. The kind of uh, yeah, that to me is probably my favorite mask out of the whole show. Uh, personally, I mm. just think there's something really, really cool about that design, um, and the sculpt is great. But it's just it's it's a fun fun thing for me well you know it's what happens is you if you go in and you spend eight to ten hours a day sculpting every day after a while you get good at it you know and then <laughs> and then, and then you lose it but right. it, there was a there was a period there where you know it was really fun to, to yeah. the sculpting was was really working out and you know you like said, so you were in the zone is what you're saying you were right? in the zone for, for yeah. weeks judy said that uh you her quote about you was, he concentrated on his work and did not talk a lot. He was often in the zone. Um, what's the zone like for you? What does it take to get you there? And how do you stay there? Well, I, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of what I alluded to before. It's a combination of trying to have fun and feeling the pressure of hoping it turns out. So you, you just bounce back and forth and sometimes you think, hey, this is working. This is working. And, and that's part of the fun. And then other times you're going, this is not working. And so you scrape it away and try again. Do you ever have that feeling? I know there are often times where I will go to sculpt something and I start and especially with wet clay where it's it's very loose when you're starting. And sometimes I'm trying to get ahead of it. And I just feel like, did I forget how to do this? Like, this is, <laughs> I'm not good at this. Maybe I should stop. And then I was like, no, no, just wait a little while. It'll yeah. get that, to me that you, that that phase is always between the block in and the details. Yes. You know, the block in is pretty like, you know what you're doing. And then the details, you you're, you know what you're doing. And it's that in between trying to get from block in Firm to up the, the medium shapes and the tiny shapes. Yeah. That's where, that's where I think I stumble and where you start to wonder and start over. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but no, doing it. It was the same with storyboards. I mean, if you do it every day, you get good. And then later you look back and you go, man, I wish I could still do that. You just you have to do it every day to be that good. Right. Um, the last one on the large size, this actually took some figuring. You had a picture of you sculpting something. And 
I didn't know what the heck it was at first. <laughs> it turns out it's six six. I didn't even remember it. A tippet sketch or, or concept maquette. Uh, there is so there is a, a there was a telex going back and forth from you know England to um, uh, to the states, California, and they would send telexes each day to update on the on the production. Uh, one of those telexes actually says the word six six next. Um, so uh, you did make him, and he made it to England, but he didn't. Uh, he didn't make the cut. Sorry. My recollection, what I recall is that. I sculpted this head and a little bit of the suckers. And then I think Judy may have actually fabricated the rest of him just using. Yeah. And foam either, and stuff. It might have been, it was either Judy or Jean or Dan Howard would have been. Another. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It could have, it could have been those were the, Dan Howard as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't think he did much as I recall. I don't, I don't know what his point was. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, he used to, his point was to be weird because filming, that's, you know, that's enough. Um, you seem to have had your hands on, whether it was in the concept phase or the final phase, a lot of fan favorite creatures. Um, what do you think makes a good monster? Well, character, you know, so I, I suppose... I was lucky enough to work on a couple of the characters which had some acting in the film, you know, the, the co-pilot. They loved that that voice they gave him, that language. It's just wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the pig guards, you know, they weren't particularly emotive, but they they walked around. You they had a lot to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's because I didn't... Some of the ones I sculpted the full size, I didn't do the maquette. So it was a blend. You can't really, I mean, it was very, yeah, it was, it was right. a real group effort. And yeah. then, of course, like with the pig guards, I didn't do the costumes. That was the costume folks working at the bay next to us. And it, so it was, we were constantly going back and forth, adding parts. It was a very, it was a group effort for sure. So may, maybe what makes a good monster is a good team? Maybe, maybe. Um, and giving them Maybe it all goes back to George. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Well, I mean, you know, there is something to be said you know, uh, of George as the curator, I think. You know, when you look at, like, as we have going through all of these maquettes and you go, here's 90 designs and maybe they made half of them or a third of them, um, you know, and then there are all the ones they made other than, you know, <laughs> six, six, maybe. But like they're, they're strong, you know, it's like the selections were good. And maybe, yeah, maybe George is a good curator there. Um, I do see the Disneyland print uh, behind you, the map. Um, yeah, that's a Peter Allen shot. I love it. I, I, I'd be mad at myself if I didn't ask you about Star Tours. Oh, Star Tours. To work on well, I was, you know, I was always such a fan of Disneyland. I, I grew up in Southern California, and I think I was eight years old the first time I went. Uh, it had only been open a year or so. Uh, so. I've just always loved Disneyland, so it was a real it was a real break for me to get involved with star tours and work with the, uh, with, with uh, the guys at wed and go down to Disneyland and, and help get that ride uh, formed and be kind of behind the scenes like that. It was really a treat. I, it's one of my favorite rides. I remember, so I'm East coast. So Florida was my Disneyland. Uh, I, you know, we'd go every few years with the family. We'd drive down. Um, but I remember when Star Tours opened there uh, at the Studios Park, 
I was blown away by that ride. This was <laughs> suddenly you were riding that, you know, you were talking about driving home and pretending you're the star destroyer coming over or yeah, the ship, you're yeah. the TIE fighter. Like yeah. suddenly that's what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and man, that was, that was some experience. So I'll, I'll give you a thanks for, for helping give me that experience. Cause man, it was, it was a great project. It, it was, it was really fun to do. Um, and I know that you did talk with when talking with Brandon, you you put in a lot of good stories about that. So I'll recommend again to everyone okay. uh, check out Talking Bay ninety four's interview with him for more on that. There's some good stuff in there. Um, but there's something else you said in his interview, and I don't know if it was off the cuff or whatever. But you were talking about you you, you so you did all this stuff uh, stop motion, then you get onto Empire, then you do Jedi and, and Dragon Slayer in the mix, and then it's you know, young Sherlock Holmes and Willow and eventually Jurassic Park and even the Star Wars special editions. And you use the phrase from cardboard to computers. <laughs> that and certainly was the case. I think that's a really great encapsulation there. Um, but that's a hell of a transition. It was, was a great time to be in visual effects. I mean, it, it really was. And we literally did do stuff with cardboard. We did. Joe Johnson grabbed me one day and said, we got, he, he, he wanted to do the nebula shot for the last shot in Empire. Oh, There's yeah. Nebula, you can see out the hospital ship's window. And uh, um, Brian Johnson was doing a painting that was supposed to be used. And, and Joe didn't think the painting was going to work. So Joe grabbed me. And we went back to a little corner of the stage. And he put down some black velvet and a, a, a white sphere from a bath a bathroom lights fixture and some baking powder and some micro balloons and we just started sprinkling it around in the shape of a nebula and that was that was the nebula element i mean we still did stuff like that outstanding not anymore now it's all now it's i mean we had a star field you know, star field which stood on the stage and we used for every movie we worked on yeah we would go in sometimes and paint it black and then repick out a bunch of stars. Uh -huh. and, you know, the day came when get rid of the star field. It's all on the computer now. Right. So it really was a great time to be involved in visual effects. So such a transition. It's nice to hear someone sound so upbeat about it. Uh, <laughs> I, I, like that could have been a scary transition. Oh, the transition. I, I love computers. I, I, I took to them right away and I, I welcome, I welcome our new overlords. <laughs> it was, I thought it was, and you know, I, I, I see the work being done on them today. I, I just, I know people will say, Oh, it's CG. It's all fake. And it's just, it's not all fake. It's, it's always fake. visual effects. You only notice the fake ones. It's right. It's, good stuff is amazing. I mean, I see work. If, without the computer is would just not be possible just yeah. not possible so i i think it's been a real boon absolutely no and i mean just for for compositing alone and for set extension and all of that there's stuff every once in a while i'll see somebody's real uh and i'll see some tv show that i watched you know yeah. court drama or whatever and it's like there's a set extension i didn't even know about right. <laughs> like, right. And it's this isn't a sci-fi fantasy film. This is just every day. And it's right. like, well, this is just going to make it better. It's really common for visual effects to be used in non-fantasy and science fiction films now. And that's great. I mean, it is it's around the world. It's just every it's the work's being done everywhere. Yeah. Do you feel and and really and the, the fact that now so much of it can even be done remotely is kind of amazing too. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know. I talked to the guys who are still working in the business, you know, John Noel and folks like that. And they sit in a screening room and just go from time zone to time zone around the world reviewing shots. I don't, that sounds tough to me. Yeah, that's, that's, that's maybe not as nice. You know, we've been now going back, and 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 again, I just owe you and and uh, Kirk and Judy and Phil and Chris and Ken and everybody who's who was a part of that old shoot uh, a couple of debts of thanks. One for inspiring me to get into making monsters because watching you guys in the behind the scenes things totally made me as a ten year old kid pick up clay and actually start doing this. Um, so so really, thank you for that. Um, and then also for just all the help in helping us identify stuff and figure out what was going on back then. How has it been for you to revisit this stuff? Well, it's fun. I mean, I remember all those times very fondly. Uh, I occasionally will still go back to the old ILM for some event or other. It's it's no longer ILM, but the facility, the stage is still there and we occasionally will have get togethers. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very, it's very, kind of fun to be back on the stage or to like you sent these pictures and I had I did not remember a lot of those creatures <laughs> it's like oh yeah that guy so it's yeah I've really enjoyed it it's really it's really fun to that stuff wasn't just all lost to history I and mean, that's a that's the beauty of working on a film that's as big as the Star Wars movies is the stuff gets kept it gets curated yeah you know, other films it gets thrown out and forgotten so that's nice and you know and now you know, not just that it's not getting thrown out, um, but now there are collectors out there who say, oh, you know, we're we're giving them the chance. We're going in and scanning and doing things like that so that they yeah. now have a chance to have their copy of it. And there's, you know, for every one of these hundreds of people out there that want to bring that piece of your art home. How does that feel? That's great. I really look forward to seeing it. I, re I really look <laughs> forward to seeing what you guys are doing. Um, I... Me too. <laughs> uh, you know, similar to that computer sort of explosion and transition, uh, you were doing creature effects in the early 80s. So this is like 81. This is right when Rick Baker is winning the first Academy Award for American Werewolf in London. Right. It's Rob Bottin's doing the howling. It's when right. you have um uh, chris tucker doing his stuff for the elephant man and all of that uh the thing coming up very right on the heels of it that's an explosion of its own right um did did you feel that at all did you you know did well, you i was certain i was aware of it and and impressed by it we we it was a, a leap forward to the kind of work that had been done previous and those guys were really pushing the envelope rick and rob especially just doing stuff with a combination of prosthetics and mechanics that was really amazing. And I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't involved in any of that, but it was really fun to watch and, and see them. I you worked feel, with both of them at different times. And it feels like you guys almost were riding the wave, so to speak with Jedi, because a lot of that animatronic stuff was getting pulled in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Know, on the other side of it, it's the, you know, just down to the creatures and the characters. Yeah. Well, it was, you know, visual effects was really almost dead before Star Wars. It had the studios had cut all of the effects departments out. There were very few effects heavy films being made. And the ones that were were using pretty old technology. And so Star Wars just rekindled everything and brought all these young people into the field, you know, burning to try new things and talented people. 
And I was really lucky to just join them and be part of all that. But yeah, it was happening in the work that we were doing and the, the, the makeup uh, effects that you're talking about and just everywhere. I mean, even the Stan Winston stuff. I mean, everybody oh, yeah. was pushing an envelope because there were budgets that just no one had had before. But, right. but because of Star Wars being so successful, the studios were willing to spend more on the. So that meant people could be a little bit more bold in what they proposed. And yeah, it was a, was a real, uh, real boon. Yeah. Real time. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you were lucky for it. We were lucky for you <laughs> and, and everybody else who contributed to that. Continuing on with that thought, you know, with the advent of computers, they've, you know, obviously gobbled up model work, they've gobbled up compositing, and they've gobbled up a portion of creature work. Not quite all of it yet. And uh, not all modeling either. There's still, yeah. there's still, there's still, there's still there models still? being built because you can light a model in the sun and you just get, you you get free lighting. That, it's free, that, that yeah. Struggles with. yeah. Do you feel practical effects still have a place? And if so, why do they endure? Well, I think practical effects, you know, Directors like to see what's happening to the camera. The biggest frustration for a director is to shoot a plate and have to wait for weeks or longer to get any first glimpse of does a shot work. And so the new stuff with the environment, the LED environments, oh, yeah. practical effects, stuff that where the, where, I mean, that's one of the reasons that Stephen always leans towards Stan Winston's stuff is because you see it through the camera. You, 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 you call cut, you do it again, you go, I got the shot, and you move on. And right. visual effects is not like that, at least at least composited effects. The, the, the introduction of the volume and the fact that now you do the effects ahead of time and then they are there on set, it, it is a game changer. It's it, wild. It's, it's yeah. a, and it's a blending. There's now a blending between practical effects and visual effects because they're all happening right on the set. And in a lot of those shows, they're building practical elements leading into the, into the volume wall and they're using... Yeah practical creatures within um i yeah i've been really impressed with what i've seen on that stuff too there's there's shots there again where i'm like oh i guess they went outside and set that up somewhere it's like nope that was the volume right, right. <laughs> yeah no it's a brave new world yeah for sure uh, do you uh do you still make art uh not too much i do build models in the computer and uh, paint them and um accounts i yeah i do i i i did i do programming occasionally i i really enjoy spending time on the computer doing doing models and things that i enjoy so that's that's kind of my artistic outlet these days i i will say you know as somebody who has done both a little bit of digital and a lot of practical and and we have folks in house that do more digital than i do it is nice to have an undo button when you're sculpting oh man yeah. <laughs> when you do when you do when you use real media and yeah. there's no undo oh it's so frustrating you're like you literally I've, I've reached for the command z every once in a while oh nuts you know, right. it was real clay yeah. no and you know I, I anything i build in the computer takes up no desk space no shelf right. space there's no dusting True. it's just it just lives and it's just it's really it's pretty cool i i will say i am pretty pleased that you know, and this was the holdup for the long time was output, right? Like, you know, you could build things in the computer, but we yeah. didn't have high res output until at least on a cost effective level relatively right. recently. And now it's like, you know, whether whether we're doing stuff, we're storing something and, and 
scanning a part and making a missing part of a costume or making a mannequin. Like we've output full bodies. We've output giant mm. things. We've output high resolution, medium, large, small. I mean, it's amazing to take something that didn't exist a few yeah. days ago and now here it is in front of you. And you well, that's, I, I got a 3D printer because they're cheap now. And, you yeah. know, <laughs> like I want to see what I built in the computer. If I want to hold it in my hand, I, I can send it to the printer. And it's, yeah, it's an amazing world. It, it's wild for us. I mean, especially on the maquettes and things where we did all this work and we go to the archives and we study them and we photo them and all of that. And then as we start working our way through the process, you know, we'll do our first test print of something. And that's why I'm holding it in the hand. And, and you start to feel like you felt when you held it at the archives and you just like, this is wild. Like this, this was just pixels, but it was a real thing. And now it's in my hand and it's, it's a trip. Huh. Um, well, I really look forward to seeing these. Uh, these yeah, records. we will. You know, we will definitely get a, a copy of of uh, of Nine Numb to you. Anybody who's watching, obviously, the reason that we've been talking is because of our Nine Numb edition that's coming out for the 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi. Back when Dave was very young, so 40 years isn't a big deal, and uh, and those will be available soon if you're watching this. So go to regalrobot.com/slash/star-wars. You can check out all the fun stuff we're doing. Um, I'll ask one last question uh, because you did say you're still making art, even though you tried to weasel around that. Uh, do you feel artists ever retire? I don't. I don't know any artists who have completely stopped doing artwork. No, I think there's usually some. You know, the the I I I don't ever have a, a desire to do an oil painting or a watercolor. I thought one day I would probably get really good at that. I never really did. Right. One of the things I like about the computer is you can keep going until you like it. It doesn't show, it doesn't look overworked the way painting mm. does. But yeah. I think any artist has has that desire to create. Maybe they change mediums, you know, which I've done through the years. But I think most artists continue to, you know, just like a writer. I don't think any writer ever stops writing. It just, it's that, that, that. It's in that you and it's out of you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, for, uh, for everybody watching of myself, thank you for continuing to create art. And I, I thank you for all the art you did that, that has inspired us well, um, and for taking so much time to talk today. My pleasure. Um, so again, for anybody watching, please like, and subscribe, look Dave up <laughs> on where he's next. I never know where this is going to be when they do the final, but look him up on IMDb. Look at all the cool things he's done. Go check out Brandon's podcast interview with him, Talking Bay 94. And please go to regalrobot.com slash Star Wars, sign up for our newsletter, learn about all the cool maquettes and things we're doing. And there's there's going to be more of these interviews coming too. So give that subscription a, a hit and uh, we'll see you all soon. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Tom. And cut.